today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Ontario legislation, uh, legislature resumes today. Some uh, topics also on their docket included changes to policing, autism, health care reform. Uh, health care reform was a big a few weeks back. Uh, it was, it's, it's been interesting as um, little pieces, bits and pieces get leaked uh, from uh, the walls of the ledge. And uh, we, we start hearing people, uh, opposition and, and critics and such, flame out about these situations before we even really know what they're all about. Uh, in specifically, Christine Van Gein is with us, Ontario Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, her latest uh, column, Horbath invokes health care uh, sacred cow and delivers load of bull. Interesting. Uh, I'll read you the first paragraph of this. Uh, the problem with calling on sacred cows is that the result is often a load of bull. That's what taxpayers got with the NDP's not-so-bombshell release of a leaked draft health care legislation in Ontario. January 31st, the NDP leader, Andrea Horvath, released a, a released draft health care legislation her party had obtained through a leak from an Ontario bureaucrat. Horvath held a press conference where she outlined what she called the Progressive Conservatives' secret plan to privatize health care. It's precisely these kinds of claims that make improving health care in Canada so challenging. To talk more about all of this, Christine Van Gein, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is with us now. Christine, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Scott. Uh, it is precisely these kinds of claims that make improving health care in Canada so challenging. Why do you say that? Well, I think that if every time there's a change, or even in this case, a thought of a change to um, the healthcare system, if every time that happens, there's hysterics about American-style healthcare or that we're privatizing the system, we're never actually going to have a conversation about the ways in which our healthcare system should or could be changed. So the legislation, the draft legislation that was leaked a few weeks ago, doesn't include anything resembling a plan for privatization. But that didn't stop the the leader of the NDP, Andrew Horvath, from holding this breathless press conference claiming that the PCs had this secret agenda to to bring Trump American style healthcare to Canada. What what the legislation actually did was talk about creating a new ad agency for those local health integration networks, the LIN systems that if any of your, your listeners ever ever use them, I'm sure can can tell you uh, people had a lot of problems with. So if we can't talk about changing something that's that's not working without howls that it's being privatized, how are we ever going to fix the system? It seems that we hear a lot of what ifs. Uh, you know, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. It seems as if they're trying to write the narrative before it's actually written. Yeah, so what Horvath claimed about this legislation, first she said that the draft legislation, which a lot of a lot of the documents that they had released, had never even been to the health minister's desk. So this is something that's being drafted by the public service as um, you know, this is all work in progress, and it's been leaked, and, and the health minister hasn't even seen parts of it. So um, what, what the NDP said was that um, it included an explicit plan for privatization. What, when pressed on it, um, Horvath admitted, okay, it's not an explicit plan, but it doesn't include an explicit exclusion for against privatization. Yeah, yeah. But to include an explicit privatization, um, ex like to exclude that, would ignore the reality of the healthcare system we already have in, in Ontario. We have private hernia clinics. 
We have private blood clinics. We have private diagnostic clinics. We have private um, long-term care facilities. And the legislation can't be designed in a way that says no private element is allowed without then creating carve-outs for all of these things that already are private in our system. So we need to be able to have a conversation that's rational and that talks in, in ways that are not so ideological and so hysterical uh, about how we can improve things for people who are really needing needing health care badly in this province. It seemed that, you know, when the last government was in power, we were pointing out things that were wrong with the system and things that were perhaps inefficient within the system. Now that we're talking about a new government who wants to change those, people are complaining it's not the way it used to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people who defend the old uh, LIN system, the, the local health integration um, network system. Um, to me, the, the the leader of the opposition, the NDP leader's defense of that LIN system has to do more with the fact that it created a large class of public sector unionized workers in yeah. middle management. Um, and that's actually the problem a lot of people had with it. They, were, they saw a lot of money being funneled to these sort of bureaucratic roles and um, a lot of middle management instead of money being sent to frontline care, which is what we really need in the province. So the defense of that old system seems more about the NDP's vested interests than it really does about improving the system. And that could be an explanation as to why um, her reaction to the, uh, the the draft legislation to get rid of those lens is the way it is. It has less to do with this being a privatization plan, which it, it isn't. Clearly, if you look at the legislation, it's not. And more to do with public sector unionized jobs for people who, who aren't actually delivering care to patients. What happened with the local health integration networks, the LINs? Because when this was designed, this was supposed to be the, the be-all and the end-all. It was one-stop shopping. And yet, as you mentioned, it just turned out to be a, just a, a middleman bureaucratic mess. Uh, what went wrong there? Yeah, so I think what what ended up happening is it became this kind of bloated um, administration system. So money went to the LINs to be administered, and instead of... Um, I mean, healthcare is a very complicated beast, and I don't have all the solutions. But certainly, to put m- so much money into administration rather than frontline care, when you have a lot of people who were, were going to the lens and saying, "Hey, I need this service. I need that service. I need a personal support worker," and you see these people who are making six-figure salaries failing to um, to send you the the medical care or assistance that you or your family need, I mean, that's very frustrating for a lot of people who are relying on the system for help. So I think that the, the cost of, of the lens was was enormous. Um, the, the administration costs alone are thought to be more than $100 million. So if we're going to reallocate that money to frontline care, I think patients would really benefit from that. Um, but, of course, it's going to mean um, fewer middle management bureaucratic roles with six-figure salaries. Uh, many are talking now and, and, and frightened of in opposition about the new super system that's supposed to come out, uh, be introduced by this government in the coming days, going to take a lot of this and put it under one umbrella. Um, how, how does the government not make the same mistakes twice? 
it's it's really difficult. So health care, as I said, is a complicated beast, and I don't have the solutions. What I think the government needs to do is make sure that the focus is on patient care, that the focus is on um, delivering care to patients instead of um, this kind of middle management bureaucratic mess that we used to have with the LIN system, um, and to get the money spent as efficiently as possible. And if that means um, allowing more things like uh, private blood clinics or private diagnostic imaging services who are, um, you know, you don't, you don't pay for that necessarily privately when you go into these um, facilities and you have your blood drawn or when you have a, an x-ray done. A lot of those are run by private corporations, but you're not paying for it yourself. Um, if, if, if that's part of the solution, we need to have that conversation and we can't just say, oh, you know, privatization, it's so wrong, this is American style. We need to be able to, be able to talk about it with the, without the hysterics. It's already a big part of our system. Um, we could talk about how it could make our system even better if we find more ways of using things like that. And isn't the proof of that in in what we learned from the Lynn system and, and its failures? It certainly should be. So I hope that the the government considers that. I hope, and I hope that the opposition um, thinks more carefully next time they decide to, uh, you know, hold a press conference with draft legislation like this. Uh, there, there's going to be more hits on this, especially when, you know, you, you hear in regard to the situation and changes with autism uh, coverage and, and less perhaps per each individual, but spread out over more people. Uh, any thoughts on this at this stage? I mean, the autism story is a sad story because really what you're you're talking about is, are we going to get really good care to a small number of people? Or are we going to give inadequate care to a whole lot of people. And, and that's really what we're faced, at, um, faced with looking at. And the reality is that there's just not enough money in the system to give everyone what they want because a previous governments have spent that money. There's, not, there's just not enough money to go around anymore. And it shows why we need to have fiscal responsibility and make sure um, we're, we're spending tax dollars wisely and not wasting it on um, things like canceled gas plants or um, government advertising so that we have money for things like children with autism. Uh, as you mentioned, the last Liberal government uh, overpromised, overpaid. How do you cut back on things like this that perhaps were just election Hail Marys way back when? How do you take stuff like this away from people after it's been overpromised? So once, it, you know, I just had a column about this. Um, once it's like a bad tattoo, it's, it, it might feel good to get in the moment, but once you have it, you're kind of stuck with it and it's hard to get rid of. Yeah. So, um, I, I was writing about that in the context of the OSAP changes. So OSAP is an entitlement that the government is, is rolling back, right? Um, it was a new Hail Mary election type entitlement, um, that was designed to kind of buy votes in the lead up to an election with this promise of, uh, so-called free tuition, which benefited a lot of people who didn't need to benefit from subsidized education the way they were, you know, families with incomes of $175,000. The government has succeeded in um, introducing legislation to, to roll that back. Um, they've this, this government is not afraid to, to anger a few people by rolling back some entitlements. They did it again um, when they were first elected with the uh, free pharmacare for children. There were a lot of problems with that program because um, families who had workplace insurance that covered drug plans for them and their children 
um, they, those insurance plans were made the second payer. So the government was paying, or taxpayers were paying for Pharmacare first, even when families had private insurance for their drugs. And um, there's no reason for that. So the government rolled that back as well. So they're not afraid to get rid of some entitlements when it's obvious that they're not working or that they're not being applied appropriately. And, and I, I think that that's a good thing to take some of that political heat when it's the right thing to do. Uh, how do you balance all of that? It seems one government comes in and overspends and the next government we elect to come in and get it back in order. Then by, you know, after that, it's too much austerity. We go back to the overspending. Where's the happy, we, where's the happy middle here? The happy medium. I think what we need is people like you and I, Scott, to continually call on the government to have some yeah. restraint, fiscal responsibility, um, and to who aren't politicians, who have kind of a common sense approach to this, and continually call on the government to do the right thing with, with our money that we work hard for and, and that the government taxes from us. How costly will it be to dis- dismantle the Lynn system? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about what the cost is going to be. It's not, um, I don't imagine it's something like, uh, you know, tearing up the contract with the beer store, which the government looks like they're considering doing, which is going to have, um, uh, you know, co- like contract implications to get out of a, a deal. Um, I don't imagine that there's going to be the same, um, that type of implications for canceled contracts related to lens. But I do imagine um, whatever system the new government's going to come up with, it's still going to be uh, an expensive system because healthcare is expensive. That's why we need to be able to have a conversation about alternative funding and care models. Uh, getting back to what you were saying, what are you hearing about the beer store? Uh, you know, it's just the government's undergoing a consultation right now um, with, they, they just concluded, I think, on, on uh, February 1st. It was a public consultation on what people want to see the um, the new alcohol policy look like. Mm. Um, there's There are rumors about um, the contract that was signed with the beer store on exclusivity, um, you know, if, seeing if the government wants to get out of that. Uh, it's a new contract that the Wynn government signed right before the election. Um, there's conversations about alcohol being available for sale in uh, beer and wine in corner stores, in more grocery stores. We don't know what the new system is going to look like, but it was certainly in Ford's election platform that he's going to have alcohol reform. And I think that's a good thing. The system that we have in Ontario makes no sense and it's quite archaic. Uh, it seems that there's a lot of, uh, of rhetoric and, and politics floating around before a lot of these ideas are even tabled. It, it, it just seems odd, man, and we're not even close to an election yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Horvath's reaction to the health care legislation was, um, was wrong. It, it, it results in her losing some credibility because... What she said about the draft legislation just factually wasn't correct. It was not an explicit plan for privatization. That said, you know, I have to I have to admit um, when Wynn was introducing things, when when leaks were coming out of the Wynn government about potential draft legislation, I was completely happy to provide comment on what those rumors were and to say what I thought of what the government should be doing. So, I mean, I, I do the same thing. I'm sure right. you do the same mm-hmm. thing. We, we comment on what the rumors are and, on what, and what should be done. I don't think it's wrong to do that, but it's wrong when you have something in front of you to say it's something that it isn't. And that's what Horvath did in this situation. Christine Van Gein has been with us, Ontario Director of Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Christine, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
Thank you. Always a pleasure to chat with you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.